So as we as we relax here and stay aware while while the talk is happening, I'll again remind you of the instructions in the first foundation of mindfulness where the Buddha says the practitioner is one who practices in full awareness when going forward and returning, who practices in full awareness when looking ahead and looking away, who acts in full awareness when flexing and extending one's limbs, who acts in full awareness when wearing one's robes or clothes and carrying one's bowl and, and yeah, uh, who acts in full awareness when eating, drinking, consuming food, and tasting, who acts in full awareness when defecating and urinating, who acts in full awareness when walking, standing, sitting, falling asleep, waking up, talking, and listening, and keeping silent. In this way, one abides contemplating the body as a body internally, externally and both, internally and externally. And one abides independent, not clinging to anything in this world. And so you heard the Buddha's instructions about embodied awareness, and then the kicker is right at the end, when he says, and one abides independent, not clinging to anything in this world. And that's an important part of what we're doing here is we're learning how to relax or just be without clinging to anything, without holding on to anything, without having to really do anything, but learning the goodness of what's here already. And so the talk tonight is uh, a talk about the goodness of meditation. And I hope to point at a few of the goodies of what happens here in sitting, walking, eating, pissing, shitting, waking up, sleeping. It's all right here. And when I say good, it doesn't mean we like it all. I don't, I'm not suggesting any kind of naive uh, dharma. But the goodness is still in being right here in this moment and starting to be mindful. And I, I generally wait till the day I'm going to give a talk to, to really see what I'm going to say. And so the talk came to me this morning in the, in the early morning sitting. Uh, how many people were at the early morning sitting with me today? Good. How many people weren't? And don't be shy, it's fine. Okay, come tomorrow. <laughs> and I only say that because it's my favorite sitting and I love this sitting and it's, it's quiet there's nothing happening you just sit and it's short 
and for an early morning sitting, usually they're, they're a little longer, but even still, 30 minutes. But really, I, I got up from the hall and I walked out and, uh, and, and I walked out into the morning and it was good. And I knew the meditation was good. And it wasn't good for any particular reasons, although there were a lot of good things, right? But it was just good to be here. And that's what meditation is teaching us, how to actually be here. And as I believe most of you know, we're not called human doings. Everybody remember that? We're actually human beings. But we have so little training in just being, in the beingness of what's right here. And yet it's here anyways. You can't get rid of it. That's the good news. But you can start to become aware of the beingness that is right here. That is why we're called human beings. And it was so good to be walking down for breakfast and, and the freshness of the air and the freshness of my consciousness, which is one of the things that happens in meditation, is it keeps refreshing consciousness because every moment is actually brand new. And it's one of the things you start to intuit or taste, or feel, or know, or become aware of, that it's all magically here right now, in this moment. And of course, that knowing is not about thinking about the past, or thinking about the future, but actually being alive to right now, to this moment. And I think you would all agree with me that this moment has never been here before. Is that accurate? Anybody disagree? You know, sometimes, I'm, and I'm always happy to get, to learn something. If I'm wrong, I'm happy to learn, which is a lot what meditation is about. It's, a learn, it's about learning what is true now, in this moment, and then this moment, and then this moment. And it's such a gift that you've given yourself. And it's such a privilege that we all have to be here, that we can just practice together and just do this simple, simple, simple practice that is so con confoundedly difficult, even though it's so simple, right? Because we, we all say there's nothing to do, right? Just be here. Just be aware, be mindful of this moment. Like, that's not hard. I mean, <laughs> well, it isn't. It isn't like here. Now, be aware of what happens now. Everybody, you knew that without even thinking about it. And then it's just the continuity that is unfamiliar to us. The training we've had is not to be here moment by moment. The training we've had, oh, I should have brought my phone. There's something on there I want to read to you. Where is it? Oh, here it is. Yeah, now, oh, this is the training we've been having, is being somewhere else. 
But here, right? and even before, this is important for you people who are younger, even before there was technology, people didn't know how to be in the moment, right? It's not just tech. Let's, let's be honest about that. For us old folks, we have a hell of a hard time being in the moment. Even before there were, you know, iPhones or whatever phone you have. So as my friend Ajahn Suchito, who's a beautiful monastic teacher, um, he said, the core of Buddhist practice is how we relate to what's happening, how we relate to what's happening. Can we be aware of what's happening now? Can, be aware, can we be kind to ourselves no matter what's happening? You know, good, bad, like it or don't like it, difficult, easy. Can we be kind to ourselves? Can we be kind when our body is hurting when we sit here? Right? And you know you have our full permission to be kind to yourself. You don't have to be if you don't want to be. You can not be. You can be mean to yourself if you really want to be. But it doesn't help the process of relaxing and getting here and seeing what the Dharma is that's right here, that's sitting in your seat. And I was going to say this later in the talk, but I'll say it now. One of my favorite Dharma quotes is from Munindraji, who was my friend Joseph Goldstein's teacher. And he would point to you and he would say, the whole Dharma is sitting right here. The whole Dharma is sitting, and it is. Everything we're pointing at, everything we're teaching about mindfulness, it's just ways to see the Dharma, the truth of who and what you are and what's here. And really the magic of consciousness that's embodied and awake and alive. So one of the themes I thought I would bring in today is being sincere about practicing while you're here. It's really a beautiful, heartfelt component to bring to practice is your sincerity. And you're, you all already are in touch with it, otherwise you wouldn't be here. I mean, you have to be sincere to come and pay money to go sit and walk and sit and walk and eat and sit and walk and sit and walk and eat for five days. I mean, that takes some sincerity or, <laughs> or stupidity. <laughs> it's just what came into my mind. But I don't think it's really stupid. I just think it's not familiar. It's not what we usually do. It's not what we were taught in, at least in, a, in the United States of America, in elementary school or in kindergarten or although it's more and more there's a little bit of mindfulness now in the schools and it's kind of wild that that it's so highly valued because when I first started out in the Dharma it was a weird esoteric thing it was just a weird thing and I like weird things so I felt comfortable being weird that way I've been weird a lot of different ways in my life, and meditation was just another one of them. Uh, 
but to learning to sincerely relate to each moment fully, to, to really be curious and open to what's here now will help us, even when we leave, to be interested, curious, sincere about being present wherever we are in our life, at our home, with our family, with our community, with our, in our work, with politics, the whole show is important for us to be there, be here, be there here, meaning here is, there means really here, wherever we are. And there's a quote from the Dhammapada, which is, I believe, one of the earliest Buddhist texts, yeah, the Dhammapada, and the Buddha said, with sustained effort and sincerity, with sustained effort and sincerity, discipline and self-control, the wise become like islands which no flood can overwhelm. That there's a kind of hereness and presence that develops with mindfulness practice that is a foundation of how to be here at the retreat and how to be in the world as we live our lives. And, you know, it also leads to awakening, but you don't have to worry about it because as Suzuki Roshi said, he said, and Suzuki Roshi, if you don't know, founded San Francisco Zen Center and really just just um, birthed a whole tradition of Zen in this country. And he was the real thing. If you want to read a great Dharma book, read Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind. Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind. That's, I like, I read that every few years. And every few years I read it and it's like, oh, this guy is so good. I keep learning more every time I read it. And so Suzuki said, if I practice Zen, a student came to him and said, if I practice Zen, will I get enlightened? And Suzuki said, if your practice is sincere, it is almost as good. That's a beautiful understanding of what it means to really practice. Mm. And sincere, it's just a beautiful word. It's the synonyms for sincere are heartfelt, wholehearted, genuine, real, honest, earnest, ardent, devout. And that's how we want to practice right here today, tonight, tomorrow, is really to be, to be heartfelt about it and to be sincere and genuine and real and honest about what's happening. Even when we like it and when we don't like it, we want to be really honest about it. And then this kind of ardency, which is also a heartfelt way to practice, is totally giving yourself to the Dharma and seeing what happens. And to, to be, um, yeah, to practice sincere cinema, synonyms are also honestly, openly, truthfully, naturally, genuinely, with a kind of integrity or, or uh, this wholeheartedness. And it's beautiful when we really give ourselves, go slow, go slow. You're just in the meditation hall. You don't have to rush. 
really, no rush. Thank you. Yeah, no, really, I'm happy to remind you. Even you'll get to the bathroom if you're going there. <laughs> yeah, okay. Uh, it is, it's one of the things, you know, we have the privilege to sit up here and, and teach. And it's, it's one of the things that we all know is you don't have to rush on the meditation retreat. Even if you're late, you don't have to rush. It's just a meditation retreat. <laughs> you know, it's, it's not, it, it, it is life or death, but it's not physically life or death. That's good, good way to say it. So, but this heartfulness and this openness is described by the great American author, Bill Hooks. And she said, a generous heart is always open. A generous heart is always open, always ready to receive our coming and going. This is such good dharma from Bell Hooks, because that's what we're learning how to do when we sit here. We're trying to, we're learning how to receive the coming and going of what we like and don't like, want and don't like, think should happen or shouldn't happen. And we're just receiving it. We're just opening our heart to it. She said in the midst, she says, in the midst of such love, we never fear in abandonment. In the midst of such love, we need never fear abandonment. This is the most precious gift true love offers, the experience of knowing we always belong. And this is true. And we, we try to express that when you arrived here. This place is for us. And I mean all of us, not just the teachers, but all of us. This place is for you, right? And you belong here because this is for human beings who want to discover what is this. And I'm pointing at Eugene, but I could point at any of you. What is this sitting here? What is this reality that is a, a, a body that has consciousness in it? And that is developing an embodied awareness that we call mindfulness. But it really, it's such a limited term, mindfulness. It's really heartfulness and bodyfulness. And it's beautiful. Mm. And this component of being sincere, it's actually in many religions. Confucius, who was a long time ago in, in, in the Confucian world, one, they held faithfulness and sincerity as the first principles. First principles, just to be faithful to what is true and sincere here and now, right now. And you all have that muscle of being sincere. And I just want to keep supporting it. Really give yourself to being here moment by moment by moment, even when it's difficult. In Taoism, Lao Tzu said, when pure sincerity forms within, it is outwardly realized in other people's hearts. That's such a great quote. You know, when pure sincerity forms within, it is outwardly realized in other people's hearts. 
you know, it means when we meet somebody who's really sincere, like we know it, we get it. Oh, they're good. We, they have integrity. We can trust them. It's, there's a word in, um, let's see if this is the right word. Yeah, it's um, in Yiddish, there's a word, if somebody's Hamish, it's the same thing. It means they have integrity. You can trust them. You don't have to know anything else, but they have integrity. They're Hamish or they're sincere in that way. Hmm. And I'll read one last quote from Yogananda, who is a Hindu monk guru. He said, you must keep on doing your best. According to your own clearest understanding, you must long for freedom as a drowning person longs for air. Without sincere longing, you will never find God. And whatever God you seek, whether it's peace or freedom or heartfulness or love or liberation or whatever it may be, awakening, right? Without sincere longing, you will never find your God. So this open-heartedness of giving yourself to practice or committing yourself or dedicating yourself or devoting yourself to be in the present moment and see what's here and see what happens and starting to relax with each moment, whether it's easy or not easy, whether it's pleasant or unpleasant. And there's a kind of way that I like to talk about relaxing. It's not just, oh, I'm lying back on the sofa and drinking a beer or something. It's like being aware of what's here and relaxing my consciousness around it so that it's here in the space of consciousness, of awareness. And that's what I mean by relax with each experience, even difficult experiences. So I have pain in my hip and I work with it. I've worked with it for many years, actually really pretty good these days, given I couldn't sit on a bench or a cushion for a long time. Um, although I had sat for many years on a cushion. And, um, but what happens is when I start feeling it, when it's difficult and it gets difficult, I'll be, let's say I'm just being mindful of the breath. So I want to breathe into the pain and breathe around it. And just and it's really it's really relaxing my consciousness around it. The pain can hurt. The pain can be tight. My consciousness doesn't have to be tight. It can be open. It can be relaxed around it. And and I'm saying this to encourage you to play with it when it's difficult for you at some point during the meditation, because as you know, and I just want to assure you. It will be difficult at times in the meditation. It's just part of the deal. It's not personal. I'm going to say that again, but I need some more water first. It will be painful, or it will be difficult, or it will be uncomfortable, but it's not personal. 
it's just part of being an animal. We're human beings and we're human animals. And we have bodies and we have feelings and we have emotions and we have minds that won't shut up sometimes. And we're not in control. This is one of the things we talked about in some of the groups today about not being in control. And that's hard because we want to be in control. Is anybody here in control? Anybody in control of the meditation? Because we're not, I can assure you about that. I don't know if that makes you happy or not, but, but it's true. We're, we're just, you know, we're teaching you the best of what we know, what we care about, what we love, but we're not in control. But it is something we know how to relax with not being in control. I always like what Emily Dickinson said. She said, to live, to live is so startling, there's little time for anything else. <laughs> Isn't that a great quote? <laughs> to live is so startling, there's little time for anything else. I mean, I don't know who Emily was practicing with, but she knows some stuff. And really, it's because it is. It's, it's just life. All that's happening here, really, in the moment, is life doing itself. Life is doing itself. And the, one, the ways it does itself is with body and, you know, sensations and, you know, sometimes pleasant, sometimes unpleasant. And with feelings, sometimes joy and happiness and delight and sometimes, oh, shit or sadness or anger. And mind, sometimes minds are brilliant. I mean, all of this came out of a mind, really. I know, I know who, who had the first thought of Spirit Rock. I think you all do too, but you know, somebody thought of Spirit Rock. And look, I mean, that's pretty wild that that can happen from a mind. And you know, he's, he's got a good enough mind, but not the accurate mind. But, but it was, you know, this is blessings to James Barrows, who had practice on the East Coast at our center and wanted a center here. He was like, let's make a center here. And he initiated it, all of this, and it's happened. Yeah, just out of his thought, right? And so it's important to be mindful of the mind. And one of the things we talked about also today is thoughts, and really thoughts and feelings. And remember, at least in the Pali, and I believe in the Sanskrit, the word chitta, which is used, translated as mind, is also translated as heart. They're the same. They were the same at the time of the Buddha. That's how it was understood. It wasn't split. It wasn't like heart here, mind here. It was all, it was all heart, mind, and more pointed at here. It was, it was the mythology of progress split us more in that way. And especially, you know, development in the Western part of the world was the split into, you know, I think, therefore I am. You know, that, you know, okay, you know, that's, 
that's half good. <laughs> you, know, you know, but I am, therefore I am, is much more to the point, right? Not that I think, therefore I am. Okay, I'm going way off my talk. I want to get back. <laughs> okay, so thoughts and feelings, yeah. So right now, I mean, anybody having any thoughts while I'm talking? Okay, three people. <laughs> no, no. Of course, everybody is. And it's fine to have thoughts. Thoughts just happen. The, the important piece I'd like to stress is they happen on their own. You're not doing them. We, we take ownership of them, but they're just happening on their own. Everybody get that? Anybody not believe what I'm saying? You can be honest. Be raise your hand. I've, I've been wrong once or twice in my life. <laughs> but really, but it's like, but, but normally, more familiarly, we think, oh, these are my thoughts, right? I mean, believe me, I have a lot of thoughts. You don't even want to see what's in my mind, really, because just thoughts, they just happen, but I'm not doing them, so are they actually mine? Right? Like, I'm going to do something now. Watch this. I'm doing this. I nailed it. I just picked up that pen. I did it. But, but if the pen came and picked me up, that would be different. The thoughts are picking me up. I don't do them 90% of the time, maybe even more. I don't do them. They just come. Every once in a while, like for the talk, I really wanted to think about it, so I thought about it. But mostly, you know, somebody says something and thoughts come and then this happens and thought come and I walk in the room. This was the greatest, my favorite story about being a meditating for the first few years, I used to, I did a bunch of retreats the first few years, practice, because I was really touched by it. And, and it, this was really strict. We never looked at anybody in the face. You just didn't do that back then. And you never made any visual contact. And so mostly all I would see of anybody were their socks. This is true, because I'd be sitting, and then I'd get up, and I'd see their socks. And of course, I'd be thinking about their socks. Oh, look at those socks. Oh, those are cool socks. I wonder where they got them. Or, God, those are horrible socks. My God, why? Do or, God, they're wearing the same socks again today? What's wrong with them? You know, but this is just the mind. I, I, you know, and it was just... It's just... The mind doing itself. It's not me. And this is a very fine but important part of what we're doing here, is we're starting to see the nature of things as they are. They're just thoughts. And I can, when I'm aware of the process of thought, I can choose to believe a thought or not believe a thought. I can choose to value a thought or not value a thought. And, and also, I can choose to then see, oh, the thought, is it true or not? 
Am I really a total idiot? Because the thoughts are telling me, oh, you're an idiot, you don't know how to do this, you blah, 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 what it is. I'm, and now I'm giving an example of judgmental thoughts. Anybody here have any self-judgmental thoughts? Raise your hands. Hi, come on, give it up here. Good, good. Okay, this is where a 12-step group for judgmental thought people, really, because uh, we are. It's one of the, it's one of the great dukkhas of our world is how tough we are on ourselves. And everybody here is a good-hearted person. I Literally, I have no doubt about it. And I don't mean you're perfect. I don't mean you do everything right. But you wouldn't be here if you weren't a good-hearted person. And so, you know, it's like, but we're so judgmental of ourselves. And we can start to, do you have a question? Oh, Dukkha? Oh, I love you for asking that. Thank you. Come on. Dukkha is a great Buddhist word, Pali word. It means suffering. But, but it's much broader than what we think of suffering. Like if I go past my time talking and I keep talking for another hour and a half or two hours, you know, which happens sometimes, you're gonna, and you have to go to the bathroom, that's Dukkha. Right, <laughs> and dukkha goes all the way to war, murder, racism, hatred. That's all dukkha. But it's also little things are dukkha too, like having to go to the bathroom, and that you go to the bathroom and all the doors are locked or whatever, you know. And so I'm just trying to give a quick example of how broad that word is, is which is why I use it, because there's the dukkha of being tired or the dukkha of being too excited sometimes, or that there's the dukkha of wanting something and it's not here. And then there's the dukkha of, oh, something's here and we don't want it, right? And this is all kinds of ways that we can experience life that are very normal. So dukkha is normal. It's not a mistake. It's not personal. That's important. It's just part of being on the animal realm of existence. All animals experience dukkha, fear, hunger, things like that. So that's a quick sidetrack, but thank you, because that's an important piece to clarify. Mm. So uh, thoughts, let's see what else I want to say about thoughts. Mm. Just be aware of them. Like spend, spend one whole sitting, just be mindful of thought. And it's wild. They just keep coming. Or they stop for a little while, and then it's really wild. And it's like, and then I, I like this will happen. I'm, okay, I'm going to be mindful of thought. Oh, yeah, this, that, blah, 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 blah. My mind just goes. And then all of a sudden there's this space. And I'm like, oh, it's wow, there's no thoughts, that's so great. <laughs> and of course, I'm thinking again. <laughs> but it's okay, we're not actually trying to stop thought. We're trying to be aware of it so that we have the freedom to choose what do we believe, what do we value, and what don't we believe, and what don't we value. Sayadaw Uteja who's a wonderful teacher who I've 
sat with and hung out with a little bit too. He's a very, he was a householder for many years and his practice was so deep as a merchant, uh, a merchant in, in uh, Myanmar, Burma, he, his practice was so deep that his teachers authorized him to teach even while he was working a regular job and had a family and things like this. And after his family had gone, or I don't know all the details, but at some point he became a monk later in life. And a student said, sometimes my mind feels confused and I don't know what to do. And he said, if you try to think of solutions when in a confused state of mind, you will only get confused answers. Don't try to do anything. Don't even try to meditate. Just observe the confusion. Right? And observe is what we're doing here. So he's tricking the person into meditating, but telling them don't, med- don't even meditate to get them to relax. So I was reflecting about the goodness of practice and, and I wrote a few things down. Sometimes I, I, I write my talks while I'm walking and, you know, I do have a cell phone. You can just talk into it and, and then it transcribes. It's like totally wild. And I, I wrote, oh, it's good to see what's true in the moment. It's good to see what's in our hearts and minds clearly. And it's amazing to see how thoughts, feelings, experience all happens on its own. It's all just doing itself. It's wild that way. It's, and it's cool wild, even though it's a little weird wild when you first see it. And then you just see, oh, it's just life doing itself. And I, I, wrote, it's, I wrote, it's wondrous. Nice word, wondrous, wonderful. It's a wonder that we survive at all because it's not just joyful, wondrous. It's amazing just to watch one's mind and see what it does. Um, and then see that it's not your mind. We begin to become aware of the mind and the heart and the body, and it's wild to see what's here. And so what we're doing on retreat is learning to be attentive to the moment of life, to this moment of life right now. And I'll remind you, be aware of your body again. Just feel it or sense it as you're listening. Because it's really easy to do and it's really easy to forget to do. So we're, we're beginning, somebody used the word witness. I think you, you may have used the word, Carol, in your talk about becoming the witness or observing what's here or watching or noticing or or perceiving, or knowing what's here, or being aware of what's here, or being mindful of what's here. Mm. And it's just beautiful. It's beautiful to highlight that part of our consciousness that is aware, and to see that we can focus in this way. and to see the magic of reality happening moment by moment by moment. Again, from my friend Sayadaw Utejaniya, he said, 
the mind's tendency is to like new things. It wants variety. It wants freshness. So one thing to remember is that no moment is the same as an old moment. Every moment is fresh. Every moment is fresh. And it's wild that that's actually true. Hmm. So the simplicity of experiential reality is what we're getting closer to. Just being here with now, with this moment, with the sound, with the smell, with the taste, with the sensation, with thought happening, with feelings happening, and with the awareness that's aware of it all. And it's part of the key is not to add anything on to it. That's what's hard. We're so used to adding on what we like, what we don't, don't like, what we want, what we don't want, what we think about, how we comment about our experience all the time. It's good, it's bad, it's right, it's wrong, it's A, it's B, it's D, it's C. And it takes a while to relax and just be aware of the simplicity of being here now. And it's, it's talked about in Buddhism, there's a great teaching from Bahia. Bahia was a very cool guy. His, his actual name is Bahia of the Bark Cloth. Bahia of the Bark Cloth. He had some very hip gear back then, made out of bark of trees. Right? That's what he wore. Now you see it sometimes now in celebrities wear these bark. No, I'm kidding. I'm sorry. No. But, and, and Bahia was trying to oh, get awake, and he, he realizes he's not awake, and he asked the gods, because that's who you would ask back then, is he awake? And the god comes down and says, no, you're not awake, Bahia, but not only are you not awake, you're not doing the right practice to wake up. And Bahia, was, who was so sincere and devoted to what he loved, which is truth and clarity and realness, he says, well, where do I go? And the God says, oh, there's a Buddha, and you can go practice with him. And, and Bahia goes to the Buddha, and he, he's looking around trying to find the Buddha. And it's said in the mythology of the text, he gets there, he gets 100 miles in one night. You know, so it's a, he, he's got some mojo, you know, to get there. And he gets there and, and um, he sees monks and stuff around and nuns around, but he doesn't see the Buddha and they tell him where the Buddha is and he goes to the Buddha and it's like, I don't know what the actual time, but in our time it would be 11.45 in the morning. And so, and he says, can I, uh, can I ask you a question? And the Buddha says, no. How's that? You meet the Buddha, and the Buddha, Buddha said, I can't talk to you now. <laughs> and this, is, this is what happens with him. And, and what that means is that um, the, it's alms rounds, and so the Buddha has to go for his food. Otherwise, after 12, our time, he wouldn't be able to get any food. So he's like, wait, bro, I'm hungry. I'll talk to you later. And, and Bahia is he's very sincere and dedicated, 
and ardent about what he's seeking. And he says, no, no, let me ask you, I'll, I need to ask you again, please teach me the Dharma, teach me the Dharma right now. The Buddha says no. And Bahia pushes and he says, well, third time, we don't know when I will be gone or you will be gone. So please teach me the Dharma. And the Buddha, who's, you know, a good guy, he says, okay, I'll teach you, but quick. And so he gives him a very short, very deep, teaching that I'm going to read you. He says, Bahia, train yourself thus. In the scene will merely, merely be the scene. In the heard will merely be what is heard. In the sensed or felt will merely be what is sensed. In the cognized thought will merely be what is cognized. In this way, Bahia, train yourself. And, and when in the scene is merely the scene, in the heard, merely the heard, and in the sense, merely the sense, in the cognized, merely the cognized, then, Bahia, you will not be with that, and you will not, you will not be with that. And when, Bahia, you are not with that, then, Bahia, you will not be here, nor there, nor in between. Then, Bahia, you, you will neither be here, nor beyond, nor in between the two. Just that is the end of suffering. So that's a very deep teaching. And it's really saying, just in the simplicity of being, there is freedom. And that is, is worth reflecting on. And it's worth practicing with that kind of sim simplicity that the Buddha was pointing at for Bahia. Just being aware of seeing, like everybody now, you all seeing, be aware of what it is that is seeing, not just what you see, but the consciousness that is seeing. Be aware of the consciousness that is hearing. Be aware of the consciousness that is thinking. Be aware of the consciousness that is feeling. And when you start to land in the isness of what's here, you will not be here, nor there, nor in between. Just that is the end of suffering. Mm. So a couple last words. Yeah, I'm basically out of town. I've got time, and I've got about five more pages, but... I wanted to say a little bit about the presence of mindfulness. Because it doesn't get talked about enough, in my opinion. We talk about being present and being aware of thoughts, feelings, sounds, smells, tastes, touch, etc. But we don't talk about mindfulness itself. What is that? And this is from... Um, um, Venerable Analyo, who is just a beautiful being, a Western monk who's very devoted to practice and spent, I don't know how many years, learning like 13 or 14 different languages so he could read the teachings in Tibetan and Sanskrit and Pali and Chinese and Japanese because he wanted to be able to cross-reference to see what did the Buddha actually teach. And he wrote a book. I thought I brought the book here. Huh. Well, maybe I didn't. It's called, um, I 
can I remember the name, Satipatthana, the direct path to realization. And Satipatthana is the word mindfulness comes from. Sati, Satipatthana, and he talks about it here. And I'll just read you a little bit. Because often they talk about Sati as memory and uh, and what it means to, to be aware is to remember. And he says the connotation of Sati as memory appears in its definition, and uh, which relates sati to the ability to recall to mind what has been done or said long ago. But a closer examine of the definition of sati, which is translated as mindfulness or awareness, that sati is not really defined as memory, but as that which facilitates and enables memory. Right? And that... And this definition of sati points to that if sati is present, memory will be able to function well. And understanding sati in this way facilitates relating to the context of satipatthana, where it is not concerned with recalling past events, but functions as awareness in the present moment. Awareness right now. And you all have it. It's all right here. And we're just turning our attention towards the awareness. And, and, um, and then he goes on, he says, in the context of satipatthana meditation, it is due to the presence of sati that one is able to remember what is other, otherwise too easily forgotten, the present moment. It's the presence of the consciousness of mindfulness that allows us to be aware of what's happening in the present moment. Sati is present moment awareness. Sati as present moment awareness is similarly reflected in different Buddhist teachings, including the Vasudhimaga, Vasudhimaga, according to which the characteristic quality of sati of what we call mindfulness, is presence, whether as a faculty, a capacity, or as an awakening factor, or as a factor of the eightfold path, of the path to awaken, or, or at the moment of realization. Thus, mindfulness being present can be understood to imply presence of mind and heart in so far as it directly opposite to absent-mindedness, presence of mind in the sense that endowed with sati, one is wide awake in regard to the present moment. Mm. And I think I'll just end with a beautiful poem from Long Chenpa. Long Chenpa, I had the good fortune to go to Bhutan about three years, no, more than three, four years ago now. I went to Bhutan, and uh, and uh, it was quite amazing. It's the only Buddhist country in the world with Buddhist government and Buddhist, Buddhist values. They don't have a, they don't talk about gross national product. They talk about gross national happiness. I mean, that's kind of cool, you know, really, for a country and a government. That's what's important. So, but but there was a cave that Long Chempa um, used to live in, 
and practice him. And, um, and I went, got to go to his cave and you could feel the power of his practice there. It was beautiful. And he said this, he said, awareness, awareness is always refreshing itself. Beautiful understanding. Just like what Saira Uteshaniya said, each moment is fresh. Awareness is always refreshing itself, always newly arriving. You can neither obtain this awareness nor lose it. Killer, killer line. You can neither obtain this awareness nor lose it. I salute the spontaneously perfect universal creativity of self-refreshing awareness. Universal creativity is the teacher, a direct teaching that you do not need to strive for. I invoke the turning of the wheel of the natural great perfection of spontaneous presence. So let's sit for a moment now, please. And in a very relaxed, you can sit in a very relaxed way. You don't have to be formal. Just relax and be aware because you're already aware. So be aware of whatever you're aware of. And if you feel like it, be aware of the awareness itself. That's right here. you for your kind attention. Who's ever ringing the bell, please ring it five minutes later. We'll just start five minutes later because I went a little bit over. And we'll have a walking period now and be aware of what it's like to walk and then come back for the last sitting tonight. Thank you. And you don't have to wait for me to leave because I'm slow leaving after teaching. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.